Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we're very excited here at NASA, alongside our European friends from ESA, on this uh, remarkable day where we get to share with you the first images from the James Webb Telescope. And uh, here is the first one now. Well, I'm sure you'll agree this truly is a stunning image. What we're seeing here is distances further away from Earth, far greater than any we've ever had the privilege of being able to record previously. In addition to this, I'm very pleased to announce that we're not only able to bring you images from across the universe, but also sound, which I will play for you now. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth Jones. He's Zog. Hello. She's Sarah. Hello. And where the heck have you guys been for the last month? So I know where you've been. I've been in Las Vegas, playing some poker. Well, actually doing very little apart from playing poker. A little bit of hanging by the pool, checking out a couple new to me pizza joints, but mostly playing poker. The key question is, Zog, did you win? I did. Amazing. Full disclosure, I did not win in the world series of poker event that i specifically went over to play on one of my trips because i did go more than once i was down on the world series of poker but i found a way to make that loss good i'll come to that in a minute but i played a bunch of other tournaments at the golden nugget the mgm grand at the orleans around the world series because when the world series is in town there's a bunch of other tournaments going on, and I made money in those tournaments. Good. Yeah, and my strategy for making back my $1,200 World Series of Poker loss was to have one spin of a roulette wheel. And I don't gamble. I don't play blackjack or roulette or any casino games. I only play poker. But I thought I will put $50 on one spin of the roulette wheel on one number, 27, for John O'Lacy and... She'll be She'll on yeah. I thought I'd do this because if I win, I cover my $1,200 deficit with a bit to spare. And if I lose, it's a couple of Uber rides. I've just lost $1,200. Huh. It's no big deal. And what do you know? Number 27 hit. I walked away with $1,800, which was uh, a very satisfactory result. Amazing. So, um, you lucky so-and-so. Sarah, the last thing I heard from you, mm-hmm. you were watching the Rolling Stones somewhere, where? Oh, yeah, I did, I did. They were playing in Hyde Park at the British Summertime, and I got a last-minute ticket, and, yeah, I was really pleased to see them. They were amazing. I'd never seen them live, and I took the opportunity because you never know how many more that you might have. I don't know if that's the last time they'll ever play, but Good point, it yeah. was brilliant yeah so they were really really good um, outstanding actually so um if anyone got to the rolling stones well done you because i'm sure everyone will agree that was very good they're all still very talented they still didn't perform like they're a day older <laughs> and are you a rolling stones fan yeah i've always enjoyed the rolling stones i'm actually the youngest of my family so my eldest brother is quite a bit older than me so he was always used to be playing it so yeah it's quite endearing to me some of the stones tunes so i did grow up on that music so it wasn't foreign to me at all okay well now that we've all been off doing various things unrelated 
to motorsport, perhaps we ought to talk about Formula One. Phew, what a scorcher, the hottest day of the year, arguably the hottest day in Britain of all time today. And the racing has been pretty hot as well, hasn't it? Sarah, did you see the race weekend? Because there were two races this weekend. There was the sprint and the Grand Prix. Yes, I did. I did watch the race. I watched it from my phone, actually, because after the F1 was on, I watched some of the Wimbledon final on my phone, too. So it was one of those days where there's a couple of things on. So I managed to get out and about in the hot weather as well as watch the race. Packing it in. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. I managed to fit in quite a few in such a short space of time. It was just really great to see Charles Leclerc do really well. And finally, after five races, and in the previous races when he was doing so well, it was never really his fault. You know, they always had those power failures and things like that so it was really nice to see him win and you know be so persevering with his attitude so it was just great it was really good I enjoyed watching Charles Leclerc finish with a smile on his face (laughs) there were loads of smiles after the race Zogo I don't know if you caught the interviews with Alonso in the pen in the paddock after the race Have you ever seen him look so cheerful? I didn't catch the Alonso interview. I wish I had, actually, because one of the things that I wanted to say about the race, well, and also this season generally, is that I'm really enjoying Alonso 2.0. You know, the new Alonso, I love it. He's a class act. I mean, apart from the fact that he's really delivered some great results for Alpine and given us some terrific racing to entertain us. That moment in Austria when he had two wheels on the grass. Yes. He's passing Sonoda. Yes. And he gives him this little wag of the finger. Yeah. It wasn't a shaken fist. It wasn't a middle finger. It was a judicious, stern wave of the finger as he passes him with two wheels on the grass. I thought, wow, yeah, can we please have some more of this level of skill and mastery of your craft that you can be in that extraordinary moment of close racing and it's demanding absolute concentration and control that you've still got the brain space and the ability to give that little admonition. Beautiful. Loved it. It was one of my moments of the race. And that was in a race that had some tremendous racing, both at the front and back down through the field, and had the very satisfying end result of Leclerc actually getting a win that he thoroughly deserved yeah. after Ferrari have dropped the ball. And just had bad luck with engine failures and other incidents you know but also they've cost themselves wins they've cost Leclerc and they came good today it's a great shame that science had his problem but worth mentioning also they were super hot on the pit stop there was like a 2.1 and a 2.3 second stop not the fastest stop though I believe that went to I'm not sure it was Ricciardo or Norris but certainly McLaren got the pit stop award for the quickest stop who did that which brings me to Sarah Sarah who's your favourite driver now is it Ricciardo or Alonso Oh, that's a tough question. Come on. <laughs> although, yeah, yeah, meant to be hard. Although I did see that Ricardo got the edge on Alonso this week. He came in ninth and Alonso tenth. I always sort of aim up where they finish. <laughs> no, I do like them both. I knew you'd be watching that very carefully. We've talked about this before. Ricardo's position at McLaren. What's your guess, Sarah? Is he going to get booted out next year? What are you reading between the lines? What are the papers in Australia saying? What's your dad saying? I don't know what the papers in Australia are saying, but I think he's very talented and unless they have someone that they've already got their eyes on to sort of come over the top of him, I do think he's got quite a few years left. I mean, it's arguable whether he's got the right car for his driving style. People talk about that, but I'd like to see him in F1. But if he does get pushed aside, 
surely another team would want to pick him up. And he's also very good for the sport, you know, in the same way Lewis Hamilton is. He's just so good. Off the grid, he's really good. He's got great personality and he just adds so much to the sport as a whole. So I think a lot of people would be very sorry to see him go. So my gut feeling is that he'll stay in F1. If it's not with McLaren, he'll get snapped up by another team. I think that's a really key observation he's really good for the sport it's all about the relationship that we have with our heroes you know it's about the personalities and the backstory of the drivers and i am yet to meet someone who doesn't think ricardo is a lovely fascinating gorgeous bloke and you'd love to hang out with him arguably of all the people on the grid ricardo is the one that you most want to go to a barbecue with right and it would be a huge loss if we did lose him but if he does go, I think McLaren would keep him within their fold. And McLaren Le Mans entry, possibly, or McLaren in Indy cars. But I think he'd be happier in NASCAR, wouldn't he? I don't know. My feeling is he'd want to stay in F1. I think if there was an F1 drive available to him, I'm sure he'd take that over NASCAR or going to American Open Wheel Racing or Endurance Racing. I think, unless it was a Williams drive, you know, and what it was being offered outside of F1 was a very competitive opportunity. That's my guess. But as you say, he's a great asset to the sport. He's a terrific driver who's widely loved. He's having a difficult time at McLaren. And, yeah, I don't think his place in McLaren is solid. No, it isn't it's still, at all. It's, it's yeah. certainly in, still, still in doubt. But I think he's certainly got a place in Formula One for a while yet, as long as he wants it. OK, here's something which I think has no place in Formula One. And, Sarah, I would welcome your view on this. The behaviour of the Dutch fans not just booing have you heard about what went on at the austrian grand prix not to that detail i haven't so please tell me more i'll elucidate i wish i wasn't saying this i don't like the booing i don't think we should boo in formula one that's not the nature of this sport i don't think it's confrontational the dutch fans the girl was sort of assaulted she was a hamilton fan a lewis hamilton fan and she had a skirt or dress completely lifted up by a bunch of Verstappen fans saying that she didn't deserve respect because she was a Lewis Hamilton fan. Oh, my God. I mean, that's appalling, isn't it? I mean, that is going to turn people off from going to Formula One. That is horrific. I hear that Mercedes dealt with it, though. They heard about this and they located the woman. I said girl, forgive me, I mean woman and invited her into Lewis's garage. I don't know if she got to meet Lewis, but she got a tour of the garage. And Toto was really bold about it. He said, no, we don't want that kind of behaviour in Formula One. Those people are not welcome. They can f*** off. And that was Toto's official statement on it, which is the strongest thing I think I've ever heard him say. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's disgusting behaviour. Just in society in general, that just should not happen at all. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, no one deserves that. How does it make you feel about going to F1 races with a bunch of out-of-control fans? Oh, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I like who I like, you know, in terms of the racing and everything, but I can't see myself getting involved in some sort of heated argument. But, I mean, it wouldn't turn me off going, that's for sure. I would hope that I'd be able to handle myself in that situation. But, you know, it it's, would be very confronting if it was just you and a bunch of guys. Yeah, horrible. It was like a pack mentality. It's not fun, not only in sport, but just anywhere. Yeah, 
Correct. It's not acceptable. And yeah, my heart goes out to that poor girl. And well done, Toto and Mercedes. If they put the awareness out there, I, th- I think that would be good. And yeah, it's good for the sport that they handled it probably the only way that they could really. And you'd hope that the guys that humiliated her would be somehow reprimanded in some way. Held to account in some I way. Th- yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you would hope that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, football has dealt with bad behaviour for a very long time and there are fans who are banned ever from going to matches. I don't know how they managed to engineer that, but they stopped them from having season tickets at least. I don't see that being practical in Formula One. I don't know how you check the ID of every single person going into a race when there's, what, 250,000 people there. How many people were at the British Grand Prix? 400,000 over the weekend or something. It was incredible. Apparently it was an absolute record. Really? No place for that, in my opinion, in Formula One. I believe in Formula One that we're a relatively intelligent bunch of people, apart from me, and that we should be a bit more sympathetic to other people's needs, and we should, most of all, respect our rivals. In the 90s, I was a Damon Hill fan, And I wasn't a Schumacher fan, but that didn't mean I hated Schumacher. Do you know what I mean by that? And there's no Mm. place for that divisional politics in Formula One. Your driver is out there to beat every other driver. It's not one-on-one. It ah, makes me angry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely no. People should embrace a more respectful culture rather than a confrontational culture. Having said that there were those problems, and there clearly were some problems in the crowd behaviour at the Austrian Grand Prix, there was also some quite poor fan behaviour at the British Grand Prix. I know a couple of stewards were roughed up. What? I think in the course of fans pouring onto the pitch and if you have a look on the Autosport F1 forums, there were some first-hand accounts of some fan behaviour that don't do any credit to British Formula 1 fans who are overwhelmingly I would say, you know, a lovely terrific bunch of people to go and see a race with. Agreed. You know, but it's also not uncommon you know, whenever you get any large group of people together, people en masse are not always entirely lovely. We should just encourage and embrace respectful, loving fandom rather than aggressive, confrontational, more tribal fandom. Mm. So yeah, knock that in the head, let's go forward with positivity. I heard Vettel talking about something after the race, something that had actually occurred to me many, 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 many years ago. Vettel was talking about brake dust and he was saying that the new configuration of the cars meant that brake dust was getting ploughed out of the rear end of the car and he was absolutely peppered in carbon brake dust. Now, this isn't a new thing. Do you remember Mika Salo? When Mika Salo drove for half a dozen teams or more in Formula One, Mika Salo had to go and have a lung operation to have flecks of carbon removed from his lungs. And I actually bumped into him in Dubai. I was out in Dubai with A1 Grand Prix and Mika Salo was there tugging on a hooker pipe (laughs) in a beautiful bar by the side of the bay. So I went over to him and spoke to him. I actually interviewed him briefly for the programme and said, look, can I take a picture of you on the hooker pipe? He said, no, I better not do that. That's not going to go down very well. (laughs) But I I talked to him because he'd inhaled lots of carbon brake dust and it was a concern even back then. Mm. So this is, what, 15 years ago? But it's great that Vettel is flagging up that sort of thing. We mentioned on the programme a couple of weeks ago, Alex and I, we were talking about how tyres are a great source of carbon particulates now as well. And Vettel has made this sort of green message his thing in the way that Lewis has taken on diversity as his thing. I think Vettel is trying to stand up for what he believes to be 
the right things. The more I hear from Vettel, the more I like him. My only concern is I'm not convinced he's the fastest driver anymore. Well, he's not, no. No. (laughs) But I agree that he's using his position, using his public visibility for good on the whole. And we know in all kinds of cases that fine particulates, all kinds, turn out to be bad for you if you're exposed to them over any significant period. Mm. Um, Whether it's asbestos, silicate stuff, coal dust in mining plenty of other examples so it wouldn't be at all surprising if carbon brake dust was bad for drivers but it also shouldn't be a terribly tough nut to crack once you're aware of the problem to tweak probably the airflow over and around the car or particularly the airflow in and around the cockpit to really minimise a driver's exposure to any brake dust. You're not going to stop brake dust coming off the discs, I'm sure. No. But you should be able to stop the brake dust getting to the driver. Hmm. I remember a few years ago there was discussion as to whether Formula One should actually return to steel brake discs rather than carbon steel or carbon. And because it would primarily give them longer braking distances and increase overtaking. And if it has an environmental benefit, then there's another reason for considering that. But it does seem counterintuitive for a sport built on the pinnacle of technology to move away from the greatest technology available to a simpler technology. How they square that circle Mm. would be a tricky one, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's see. Um, Gareth? Sarah? (laughs) I know you guys are getting very technical, but I've just got a bit of F1 breaking news that's come up on my phone. Okay, yeah, go for (laughs) it. I'm wondering if you're interested. So anyone that still has any gripe about last year's World Championship win between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, so we've got former F1 race director Massey leaves the FIA. So it's confirmed that the former F1 race director Michael Massey has decided to leave the organisation. So they've released a statement that mm. he's decided to leave the FIA and relocate to Australia to be closer to his family and take on new challenges. You know, he's probably suffered quite a lot. I mean, considering a lot of Hamilton fans are very much against him now, but that's him. The FIA thanks him for his commitment and wishes him the best for the future. Breaking news. That's so. great. Live news whilst we record the show. That's hilarious. Mm. Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so just in case. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it's been very difficult being Michael Massey for the last few months I'm sure he has found it as painful as anywhere else in what they call the Piranha Club and you know he's become a scapegoat but I will defend him the decisions he made were wrong for the result but that he was arguably entitled to make those decisions in my opinion because the race director his judgment is more or less final isn't it well I think you're right that he was entitled to make the decisions as race director but when you have the responsibility of being race director of a Formula One World Championship race, you should make good decisions, not bad decisions. I do feel for the guy. I'm sure he's taken a lot of flack and had a lot of abuse, which must have been difficult for him, and I can only feel for him in that respect and sympathise. But it's because he made a very bad decision at an absolutely critical race. And for me, there's no defending that. He deserved to lose his job. It'd be interesting to know whether he jumped or was pushed from the FIA. But yeah, he deserved to lose his job for making such a hash of that decision. It was a mess. Formula One, though, I believe is in good shape. I'm a bit baffled by the sprint. I enjoy the fact that we get extra racing over the weekend. I continue to see the sprint as part of qualifying. I think we ought to call it the qualifying sprint. 
because you're deciding the start position for the big race and it's okay to award points for it mm -hmm. and I don't think we should have a separate sprint championship but I do enjoy the race and both the sprint and the Grand Prix were fantastic this weekend I was up in North Wales doing family things this weekend I managed to avoid any social media and the results and was able to watch the sprint immediately afterwards and it was spine tinglingly good but the question is to both of you why were the cars all over each other at Austria? We saw more passing and cars grouped on the same piece of track than we've seen in ages. Why did the A1 ring give us that, do we think? I'm not sure I could give you a good answer to that, but you're saying Formula 1 is in good shape at the moment. I think part of the reason that we saw a lot more close racing in Austria, as we saw at Silverstone, is that the change in the aero regs has more or less achieved what it was supposed to do. It's yeah. achieved one of its objectives in giving us better closer racing. It also produced the unwanted downside of porpoising, which teams have more or less got on top of now. But the big headline is it worked in terms of giving us better racing. And then, you know, the details of particular tracks will mean that you'll get slightly more or slightly less close racing here and there. I mean, I think one of the reasons we maybe had slightly closer racing here is just that the pace of the front-running cars is that much closer than it has been sometimes. Ferrari and Red Bull are really very close on pace. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of the story. The midfield were basically all in the same car, I think, at the weekend. At one point we had, was it Alcon, Alonso, Zhu... Sonoda, I can't even remember. There were five cars. It was like watching the Red Arrows. They were all manoeuvring and re-manoeuvring around each other and constantly swapping for several laps. It was glorious. Yeah, there were a couple of those sort of, you know, midfield multi-way scraps along the way that, you know, was really very entertaining race. One other thing we might just say about the midfield racing, and this applies to Silverstone as well, is it's nice to be able to say that Schumacher put in a good performance. Great performance, in fact. He's been... After a long period when he's you know, really been, I'm sure, to Haas a bit of a disappointment and a rather expensive disappointment due to all the crashes, he's been racing beautifully. He's been attacking, defending really nicely and maybe he's turned a bit of a corner. And gone on to the straight and passed Lewis in the process, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It was really nice to see Lewis and A. Schumacher battling because Lewis never got to race against Schumacher Senior. Right. So if ever there is an example of like the new guard coming through, I think this is it. Sarah, how's the next few races going to play out? What's the next race? France, isn't it? Who's going to do well in France? France and Hungary, then Belgium. I just think we'll still see the battle at the top between Red Bull and Ferrari. So I think that's how it will play out. I don't see Mercedes challenging them too much. I was looking at the driver standings earlier, or the constructor standings. So it looks like it's sort of Red Bull's at the top, then Ferrari, then Mercedes, then McLaren, who's actually on equal points with Alpine. Yeah, I think the battle there will be between McLaren and Alpine, but I do think it will just continue being Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, to be honest. I think you're right. Who's your money on for the championship at this point? Leclerc or Max? I do think that Leclerc is probably the better driver on a good day when he doesn't have any car issues. So if Ferrari can sort that out for him, hopefully he'll come back and leapfrog over the top of Verstappen. That would be my wish. I have made up my mind now. I've always admired Max. I know his dad. Uh, I knew Max when he was a toddler. Uh, him racing against Lewis, who I followed for a long time, meant I was going to follow Lewis last year. But this year... I want Leclerc to win the championship over Max because I think Leclerc acts with gentlemanly dignity. He's a lovely guy. 
And whilst I'm not saying Max is a bad guy, but the behaviour of his fans has made me less inclined to support Max than I would have done normally. And I love the Dutch. I adore the Dutch. They're some of my favourite people on the planet, bar none. But what's going on at the moment means, no, sorry, I want the gentleman to win. Would you two agree? First of all, Zog, would you agree? In terms of championship prospects, head says Verstappen, heart says Leclerc. Yeah, no, I like you. I think I'd love to see Leclerc winning this year. My admiration of Verstappen is a little bit tempered by his overly aggressive style sometimes. Yeah. I think he's just a little bit too prepared to sharpen his elbows and get them out in races in a way that I don't really like to see. And for me, I prefer Leclerc style as a driver. And yeah, he is terrifically fast. Go Charles. How do you feel of Sarah? Yeah, no, exactly. I'd like to see Charles Leclerc win. You know, it's possible, so fingers crossed and we'll see. Hey, we've still got a long way to go mm. in this season. There's another um, 29 races, aren't there, this week? Or something <laughs> something yeah. like that, roughly. Sarah, we're going to bid you farewell. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. In the second half, more mm. motorsport discussion with me and Zog. Say bye, Sarah. Bye. Bernie Ecclestone, you recently said that you thought Russian President Vladimir Putin was a first-class person. Lovely bloke. And that you would take a bullet for him. Yes, sir, that's right, yes. Well, here's one from the people of Ukraine. You ruddy wazak. It's an absolute scorcher here in London today, and the racing... In Italy last weekend was scorching as well. I'm talking about the six hours of Monza, the first race after Le Mans in the WEC. And Zog, you know, we're lucky. We've seen the greatest sports cars in the world racing on the greatest circuit in the world, at Le Mans. But I'd like to see them at Monza. It kind of suits it, doesn't it? Yeah, like you've never been to Monza. I'd like to go sometime. Maybe we should make that happen soon. A wonderful high-speed circuit, great heritage. And there was good racing there in the WEC. It's notable for three things for me in reverse order. First of all, the new paint scheme on the Glickenhaus, where they've moved away from that red and white that they raced in before, and they now race in turquoise with a red, white and blue stripe down the middle. Turquoise? I'd say it's on the turquoise side of blue, isn't it, that colour? Uh, I'm putting it solidly in the blue category. OK. It looks blue to me, but hey, colours look different to different eyes. But it looks so classically endurance colours. You know, it hints at the golf livery. It yep. looks like American race cars of the 1960s, and it is just lovely yeah beautiful livery yeah it could be like I say could be a classic american look could be a french car with the red white and blue yeah yeah it's a good look it's a shame they didn't have the reliability to match the aesthetics because they were leading when they had their blow up weren't they and they Damn. had a good chance to win the race which after a good showing at le mans yeah would have been a terrific result we like to see privateers do well much as we love the big impressive factory outfits we like to see the little guys doing well so, yeah, it's a great shame that they had that problem. And well done, the FIA and the Automobile Club La West and IMSA on creating compatible rules and the balance of performance now, which allows megaliths like Toyota to compete against small operations because Signatech are running as Alpine, but really they're just a Signatech team versus Glickenhaus. There are three sort of very differently resourced teams there, all more or less on the same piece of circuit 
But the big thing really is the debut of the Peugeot 9X8. I have to think about how I say that because it's unusual having a Peugeot without a zero in the middle. What a car! We all saw the pictures of it as it debuted, but the fact that it looks the same now that they're racing it as those sort of concept pictures we saw is unbelievable. I don't think it looks like a race car. It looks like a show car, mainly because it hasn't got a rear wing. Well, essentially, you mentioned the rear. I just love that front end, that sort of, you know, enormous kind of matte black grin that it's shoving in your face. Yeah, it's a terrific looking car. Absolutely love it. And the treatment of the lights, the way that they've done the LED or the laser lights or near laser lights, whatever they are. Yeah. Those three stripes, which are like a lion's claws tearing at you, which is the Peugeot symbol from their lion. And here's another thing as well. You know, the Peugeot logo in the center of the what would be the grill, the mouth of the car, that's actually an air intake, which is taking air to feed the motor, cool the engine, cool the electronics, cool the brakes. And that's something I thought, I'm going to come down and knock Dave, I got a bit excited there. Uh, That's something that I thought MG should have done. Do you remember in our very, very, very early days of visits to Le Mans, when MG were running a modified Lola chassis in what was the second tier of LMP, the 625, was it called then? I can't remember. MG ran a car which had the MG octagon on the nose, but it was completely blanked off. And behind it was this sort of centre channel. And I remember thinking, ah, you missed a trick there. You should have made the MG logo the air intake. So I feel uh, vilified, is that the right, justified, what's the term? Uh, vilified is not the word no. you're looking for. Uh, uh, what's the opposite of vilified? Uh, hang on, what's the, what's the word? Uh, you, uh, you feel um, vindicated. That's the vindicated, word. Vindicated. Thank you. I feel absolutely vindicated that Peugeot are doing this and the car seems to be relatively quick. Not there on reliability just yet. And they're a brand new team, effectively, you know. So the idea of them starting immediately after Le Mans and having the whole season to prepare. For next year's Le Mans is a sound strategy, isn't it? Yeah, and now that we're starting to see the hypercars, the big manufacturers' hypercars coming in, we're getting a better idea about what the next few years of Le Mans is going to be like. And I like the look of it. Just to come back to what you were saying about that air intake, though, just to clarify, so I've just pulled up a picture of the of the front now. So what you're saying is that Peugeot shield yeah. that is in the middle of... Yeah, a rectangular section of the grill in the middle there, rectangular channel. Are you saying that it's kind of, is it sort of a like a, a honeycomb rather than a solid plate? I don't know how they are achieving it. Because it's a shield shape. I'm looking very carefully at it as well and I can't work out, but I did read that it is an air intake. Maybe just the white bits with the lion's head and the word Peugeot stand proud, but the rest of that is hollow. Who knows? But well done, Peugeot, for bringing a degree of style to endurance racing. Because much as I love the racing in LMP2 at the moment, the fact that all the cars are the same chassis makes it a little bit boring for me. I like the variety. I've always said that one of the great appeals of endurance racing for me is the huge variety of engines and platforms and front rear drive electric combinations and styling you know we need variety well done to Peugeot for bringing a bit of style to the game yeah and we've got a whole raft of new look cars which are going to appear 
over the next few months the Penske Porsche and also the Cadillac I'm thrilled to have Cadillac back in international endurance racing again these are all stock LMP2 chassis with a engine from the manufacturer and different body styling to make it look good but I think the cars are going to look good I like the variety I like the big manufacturers in the sport and who else have we got coming as well uh, oh Ferrari their LMH made its debut at Fiorano recently and that's going to be lovely having Ferrari back in the top level isn't it yeah it's been a long time since we had Ferrari at the sharp end of Le Mans and endurance racing you know they've been tremendous in the GTE categories and yeah for years been giving us tremendously entertaining racing but yeah to have them back at the top category will be a very welcome development particularly when they're going to be going toe-to-toe with Peugeot and Porsche and yeah it's going to be terrific But for me, one of the most extraordinary things at the Six Hours of Monza was a crash that Henrique Chavez survived when his TF Sport Aston Martin arrived at a set of sausage curbs sideways. Yeah. Launched the car into the air, but the impact with the sausage curb popped the door off the car entirely mm. and then the car spun landed on its head and skidded down the track it kind of reminded me of the awful aston martin crash in casino royale where daniel craig bond swerves to avoid his girlfriend in the middle of the road and it was the most dramatic aston martin crash i've seen since that moment and i'm thrilled that chavez was able to walk away that was terrifying yeah it was a nasty flip and you know testament to the overall strength and integrity of uh, of those designs that he walked away from that okay but yeah you do wonder whether those sausage curbs whether they need to rethink those at all it's a difficult thing though because you need to have ways of discouraging drivers from running wide from cutting corners and i think it's quite hard to come up with ways of dissuading drivers from taking the line that you don't Mm. want them to take without also making that line more dangerous under some circumstances. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether it's having grass or gravel or having curbs of some kind, they can all have safety impact one way or another to do with digging in, making a car flick up, allowing stuff back onto the track that's then going to make another vehicle more likely to have an accident in that spot, to skid in that spot. Yeah, it's very hard to see how you can corral the drivers, corral cars to keep them on the track without compromising safety. But yeah, the sausage curb was a culprit in that quite spectacular accident. I'm wondering if gullies might be the answer rather than a raised section. But if we have a sort of a dropped section, which means that your wheel might drop in there and you'd bottom out and that would cost you time if you infringe. But hey, I'm no track designer. Okay, well, I'm going to say right off the top of my head without thinking about this anymore, I'm pretty sure that if you have a gully that's certainly in some circumstances it's going to be just the same as having a raised curb because you're going to have a circumstance where you know a wheel drops into that and is then banging up against a raised edge Good point so yeah I, i'm pretty sure you'd have a similar problem and from my own personal experience i remember being involved in a dreadful car crash when i was driving a car once where one of my wheels got into a gully and in that gully was a great rock 
And so I was flipped into the air and landed on my roof, Oof. rather like uh, Henrique Chavez. And I'm pleased to say that I walked away from that one, but there was no guarantee. But glad I'm still here. Uh, okay, we might also just say uh, Kevin Estra should have gone to Specsavers by the looks of that race. He had a couple of uh, <laughs> couple of little incidents uh, that I think you know, you know he could have avoided if he'd been a little bit uh, paying a bit more attention. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. uh, had slightly better judgment. Yeah. yeah, he's usually a tremendous driver, but he was a little bit of a liability at Monza. And I should point out that. Other optometrists are available. Indeed. <laughs> You'll be listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. He was Zog. Goodbye. I was Gareth. And Zog, I'll speak to you in another couple of weeks. And listeners, you'll be hearing us in another couple of weeks. Say bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Oh, it's just you and me, isn't it? Bye, everyone. It is, yeah. Just, yeah, okay. <laughs> For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones!